It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome. This is Denise Michaels. I am here with Charles Whitby II. And today is Friday, July 10th, 2015. Hi, Charles. Hi, Denise. (laughs) Now it stops sounding like a radio interview. (laughs) Anyway. All right. I just, you know, when I go to Transfer, I like it to sound friendly and introduce it and everything. So today is our first call um, together, um, not as clients, but as uh, me helping to ghostwrite your book. So I'm very excited, and uh, all is well, and we're going to move forward and kick this thing out for you. Awesome. Good? All right. So um, here's the first thing, is that I do all of this in Microsoft Word because Microsoft Word gives me the ability to, um, uh, you know, use their thesaurus and do all kinds of editing things and track changes and all that kind of stuff, okay? Right. And so everything that you sent me was in Google Docs, and I saved it, but then when I go to open it, it's like there's 27 different files there and none of them are the thing. So if you can walk me through how to save a Google Doc into a Word file pretty quickly and easily, I'll do that. Otherwise, I would ask you to resend the stuff to me in Word Doc. Yeah, so if you click on the document, if it, you can either right-click on it. Right-click on the document? Uh-huh. Okay, and then, and then save talk, as maybe? There, there should be a download. Uh, it says back forward reload, save as print, translate to English, view page source, view page info, and inspect element. So are you actually in the documents or you're on yes, in the, I, the drive? Yes. I right clicked on the document. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm saying is it open to the text of the document or is it open to the list of the documents? No, just looking at the actual document, the text. Oh, Chapter okay. 1, brown skin and broke. Okay, yeah, so then what you want to do is go to save as, or download as. Okay, what I have is reload or save as. Well, if you, I'm sorry, go to file. Okay, wait a minute. Uh, I don't see anything that says file. There's there's no like bars across the top like I'm used to seeing. Oh, okay. Here, hang on here. Okay, so uh, new tab, new window, new uh, there there you know there's a little tiny icon that opens up to a bunch of stuff. There's save page as, which is what I've been doing. I've been saving it. I feel really bad, you know, having you do this with me, but uh, anyway, but there's nothing that says file. There's one that says downloads. Okay, and if you download it, 
it should download it as a, a DOC action. Okay, so I'm clicking on downloads. Brown skin for green money. Okay, so I have like this list of all these things that I've downloaded. Uh-huh. And then when I go to open it, you know, I'm getting Word like it's going to be a Word document. Okay. But it's not. You know, it opens up in Word, but I have all this stuff that says Google Drive with the logo, brown skin, green money, and then there's little tiny pictures of all six of the files. It's not the outline. Okay. Well, I'll just send it all to you. Thank you. Okay. I do have them all open and in front of me so we could have the conversation today. But if you would send them to me in Word, that would be really, that would be great, you know. And I don't know, maybe part of this is garbage, you know. So anyway, so what I was thinking is is that you've got a couple of chapters. You've got a pretty good start on them. Um, I'm just going to kind of talk through like where you're at and see where we get to today. Um, In Chapter 1, Brown Skin and Broke, you've got 30 pages. Now, I see a total of 16 chapters. Right. So, so remember, so remember, this first document is the original document that I sent you before we engaged. Right. Right. Okay. So yeah. I see that in. See, I've got the problem: brown skin and broke, and then I have um, brown skin and broke as chapter one. So they're both pretty much the same thing. So the way that this is laid out is that the first document, brown screen, green money. Um, it was the original document that I sent to you. Right. Everything. I remember. So, so then the brown skin and green money outline is what we worked on together. Brown BSGM is where we started um, working together. So if it says BSGM at the beginning, that mm-hmm. is where we started working together. BSGM, um, get your learn on, listen to people who are not broke, and then the problem brown and broke is also one I have to rename it. Let me rename that. Right. So where where I was going with this, let me pull up the outline. Okay. So I'm looking at the outline, and it looks like it's a ballpark of about 16 chapters, like, you know, right? Right. Okay. So if you have a 200-page book, okay, and you have 16 chapters, you're looking at about 12 to 13 pages per chapter. Okay, so like the stuff with the with the problem, you know, I'm looking at using it, right? But some of it will be tightened, and some of it might go into a second chapter that drills down maybe more specifically in the problem. You know, like I gotta I gotta look it all over all over again and kind of re-strategize everything, you know. And then once I've done that like, okay, then we're going to flow from that point forward, you know. But but you want those chapters to be somewhat similar in length. You know, you don't want some chapters that are five pages and others that are 30, you know. Right. So so that you, the reader has some consistency in there. So what I thought we would do, since I'm, I'm going to wait for you to send those to me in work, Word when I can then really, really dig into them, you know, hopefully this weekend, um, is I thought what we could do is just spend some time talking about one of the chapters that you haven't gone into yet, 
Okay. Okay. So, and, you know, it doesn't have to be chronological. I mean, I know I probably, I said that to you, you know, while you were doing the coaching with me, but, you know, now um, normally, you know, when I work with um, book, um, you know, ghostwriting clients, somehow it seems to always work out that the way we do the chapters turns out more chronological, but it certainly doesn't have to be. So if you were going to look at, you know, I don't know if you have the outline or any of the stuff in front of you right now. I do. Okay. So if you were to look at the outline right now, which one of these do you say, you know what, I think I'm in the mood to talk about that, or does it, like, not matter to you at all? Let me look here. This. You still with me? Yeah, I'm just looking through the entire list. Okay. I think that I try to get your heart on. Uh, how about buy seed, not just crop? Buy seed and that's just crops. Now, by any chance, are you holding the phone like on your chin or anything like that? You sound kind of muffled. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this better? Yeah, yeah, it's better. Thank you. Okay. I'll just far away from you. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this, just to start. What would you say is the overarching lesson that you want people to get out of this chapter? Buy seed, not just crops. I would like them to understand that money is not to be spent just on um, on obtaining possessions, but to be invested into uh, money is a tool um, to use and not just an expenditure to have, right? Okay. It's a tool to use. It's a tool to use that it can be used to bring you more resources as opposed to just bringing you more things. Okay. So when you're talking about things, you mean it could be a house. Now a house is an asset, you know, but it could also be things like eight hundred dollars Louboutin shoes or some crazy right. thing, right? Right. You know, um, and. Do you feel that there are any um, particular issues with that that are sort of like maybe a little bit more pronounced in the minority communities? You know, because to me, it's like the idea of having to have the latest designer this and the hottest, coolest new phone and, you know, all of those things. It's kind of a showy thing, you know. Right, and it doesn't matter what race you are for that. It's kind of a showy thing. But do you think there's any issues with that that are 
different or more pronounced in minority communities? Absolutely. So I think that one of the problems that I see with that is when there are individuals who are on government assistance of some sort, I've seen it really be a problem in the minority communities that they will use government assistance to not put themselves in a better economical position by utilizing those funds to make their lives better, but they'll use it to purchase a Louis Vuitton purse, purse, right, or shoes or, you know, a Michael Kors purse, right? Right. How could they instead use those funds to make their lives better? They could use it by um, investing into, which we covered kind of in the previous chapter, in investing into into educational tools that will help them to develop more skill set to increase right. their earning income. Um, they can put the money away in um, and actually what the funds are for, for eating and nurturing their children so that, or feeding and nurturing their children so that their children can go to school and be alert and learn and increase their learning potential to increase their ability to, um, you know, increase their income or to have an income. Right. Why do you think this is... Um kind of a pronounced issue for minorities? Is it just a case of instant gratification or is there something else going on with it or what do you think? It's a combination of instant gratification. It's I've never had anything, so now I can go buy something um, that is value, that is perceived to be valuable. Um, and it's more of a uh, an ignorance of uh, having a name brand designer something is a reflection that you are, you know, you have a certain, you are of a certain status. Or you have lied or something. Right, right. Right. Okay. All right. And um, how have you, you know, because you're a fashionable guy and you like to look good and all of that, how, you know, what are the things that you've told yourself um, when it comes to, um, you know, you see something that's really, really cool, like, say, a Burberry scarf or coat or, you know, whatever it may be, to tell yourself, you know what, now isn't the time? Or, or what do you tell yourself when you're faced with these things? Because we all are. I mean, whether we're seeing advertising on, on television with, you know, I mean, um, Puff Daddy selling $50 bottles of vodka or something, you know, something in a magazine or just walking down the street and there's a shop there. I mean, what are the things that you say to yourself to keep yourself a little more on the straight and narrow? I think it's more of a reward system, having a desire and say, hey, I, I would like that, but understanding my obligations and, you know, my, my goals and saying, okay, when I achieve this or after I've saved this amount of money or put this amount of money into um, an investment or after I've earned this amount of money, uh, 
or increased my my earnings to a certain level, it, it, it becomes a reward after accomplishing one of those goals. So I say, oh, I really like that. Uh, and it's being able to be, it's being able to assess properly the needs versus the desires and saying, okay, at this point, this is something that I desire. It's not something that I need. I really, really like it. I really, really want it. But after I've accomplished or obtained or increased my earning to a certain level, then I'll feel comfortable making that purchase. It's almost a motivating factor for me to, you know, drive revenue up for whatever I'm doing, you know, so I have to work. For most right. people, it would, be, it would be working overtime or um, having some type of extra income that comes in that is discretionary. Right. You're really reasonable, Charles. I try to be. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right. So now let's say your reader is somebody who is just pining for whatever it is, whether it's a, and let's say it's a woman because I think I think women fall prey to this more than men. I don't know. What do you think? I I think I, so. I don't have yeah. to put it in I, the I book, so. you know. Yeah. <laughs> No, okay. I, I, no, I do think so, and I mean, I wouldn't mind saying that either, because uh, right. I, I mean, it's just an observation in the in the community, right? And I think I'm pretty sure that that wouldn't be a point that was debated, <laughs> not right. by the masses. Yeah, and and I I think that like men are more about toys, like electronics. Right. You right. know what I mean? Having the latest, coolest phone or the hottest, you know, Microsoft Surface, you know, which is like 2000 right. bucks, or, you know, whatever. Or the latest sound system or something like that. Right. Where, I, you know, I, well, I remember back in, high, back in high school and college, it was always about the big screen TV and the stereo system. Right. You know, when I was exactly. younger. So, anyway. And Not much has changed. <laughs> What what would you say to a woman who is just absolutely pining for that five hundred dollar pair of shoes in the window at the upscale mall that maybe she shouldn't even be going through because it's so tempting, you know? What would you say to her to kind of you know talk her off the ledge there? You know, I, w- I would tell her to to really have a, an objective perspective of her situation you know sometimes we have to take we have to step out of our emotions because buying is an emotional thing you know we we see something and it drives us oh my goodness i really want that and you find a way to make it happen even when you may not have the means to and and it becomes a, a, a practice where someone has to just really step out and look at you know Take a pause, a breather before you 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 know purchase, and say, ask yourself, can I really afford this? Cooler heads must prevail. I'm sorry. Cooler, Cooler heads. heads must prevail. Right. And right? you know, ask yourself, can I can I really afford this? What do I have to give up for me or my family in order to make this purchase? that I could use it or and then what could I use this money for to put myself or my family in a better economical position and then the last thing is if I really want this 
what is comparable that I could purchase that may not cost as much for a um, fraction of the price for a fraction of the price and I'm still you know I'm I'm still fulfilled in that I have something because sometimes that's what I do. I mean honestly there are there are some some particular items that I I mean because I work in the fashion industry I understand kind of the dynamics of labeling and understand that some stuff is the same stuff. It's just who labels it, it's what <laughs> makes it um, a little bit different. And I probably can go into a little depth in one of the chapters about talking about how I've seen the same product relabeled under different labels and have tremendously different price tags, but it's literally the same exact. The, qu- the quality of tailoring, the quality of the fabrics is no different. It's no different. It's the same. It's mass purchased and just labeled by a different company. And it's, it's literally I, the same exact product. You know, I have to tell you something interesting that happened to me. This is maybe like 10 years ago or something. I went, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a QVC queen. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate, they, they, they said on the television they were having this event at the Rio in Las Vegas, and it was for QVC shoppers, and they were going to be showing the latest this and the latest that, and, you know, the people who were the, quote, stars were going to be there, right? Right. So at any rate, I went and I end up, I'm standing next to one of the guys who's a fashion designer that's on there all the time. His name is Dennis Basso. Dennis Basso does like $10,000 fur coats and wedding dresses and all that if you go on his website. But if you go on QVC, he has like a jacket for $60, $70 or something. It's like, you know, much more approachable kind of pricing, you know. Right. And I asked him, I said, you know, when I'm watching, you know, he's just standing there and he says hi and strikes up a conversation with me. And he said, you know, when I'm watching TV and they say that comparable value is 120 bucks and you're selling it for 75 I said, do you think that's accurate or off the chart or anything like that? And he said, Denise, he goes, the comparable value is usually figure like almost double it from what it is. He said... He goes, you know, when I send stuff to Saks from my collections, he goes, sometimes, first off, I have to manufacture everything and send it out, and it's there for months before I get any kind of payment on it. He goes, and then sometimes what happens is he says, I'll get a letter back from them with a check for 20% less than what I charge them that says, oh, well, we had a hard quarter, so we're reducing your payment by 20%. Wow. I was like, you got to be kidding me, really? He goes, happens all the time, you know. And just then, Linnea Del Oli, uh, um, Leo Del Olio, something. Anyway, he used to work for Ann Klein for many, many years, and then he broke out and started doing his own thing. And he's another guy who sells for QVC. He goes, yep, Denise, he goes, it happens all the time with, you know, with retailers. You know, it's like you send it out, you give them an invoice. He said, so you get to the point where you have to mark it up because you you have to assume they might do that because you don't know, you know. And he goes, that's what the consumer is paying. And he says, QVC's system of how we get paid as designers is so different 
plus the manufacture, you know, they manufacture like thousands and thousands of pieces of like one pair of jeans or one pair of shoes or whatever. He says, you know, it's like we get paid so much faster. He says that's why we can do it so much less expensively is because we know what we're getting, you know, and everything. So I thought that was pretty amazing. It is. It's, it's interesting how the pricing structure works and why, you know, some of these retailers, it, it, I mean, just the, the process is everybody has to get paid that's involved in the process. And when right. you start, to, so as you add middlemen and middlemen, you know, the, the quality, and, and then you, you push it from a, a designer, so the designer gets it from the manufacturer, and then the designer says, okay, we got to put it in the store. And then the store says, oh, we have to advertise. And the designer says, oh, we have to advertise too. And so those costs just begin to increment where you can get the same tie at a place where there's no advertisement, but they're able to charge less per item because they don't pay that advertising price. Did you know, I know this seems like we're off track, but we're not. I'm very... I'm very on purpose here. Did you know that the classic Louis Vuitton products that are that dark espresso brown with the gold LV logo, they are not leather? I was not aware of that. They're they're what's called coated cotton. Wow. They're leather they're leather trim like the piping or the handles or uh-huh. you know whatever, but they are not leather. They're coated cotton. They go through a process where they take a pretty sturdy cotton fabric and they coat it with all these different layers of stuff to make it look and feel like leather. That is incredible. Yeah, that's why when you look at the tag on the inside, it'll say 100% leather trim, you know. Right. Amazing, wow. you know, and those purses are like almost a thousand dollars, you know. Yeah. So you said you were going to tell me a little bit about like clothing manufacturers and how like Ralph Lauren will put one label on a suit and it's eight hundred dollars, and somebody else puts uh, maybe Joseph A. Bank or something puts a different label on it and maybe it's four hundred dollars. Right. So there's a process that the fashion industry uses called sourcing. And a lot of manufacturer, excuse me, a lot of brands or stores, storefront presences or designers, they will go to a, a sourcing situation like in Vegas we have the World Market Center and um, we also, they also bring magic to Las Vegas. Your your voice is getting a little hard to um, I'm sorry. understand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. And Thank you very much. No problem. There's magic that comes to Vegas, and obviously we have the World Market Center that's here, and manufacturers or salespeople for manufacturers will bring a bunch of products to a central location where a, a, a number of buyers from stores and or design labels will come and look at the products. They will t- different stores or ma- or designers will see the same product that has no label on it now and they'll order a quantity of them and they'll each have a separate quantity of the same product 
and then they take it through a process of just labeling it. So for some of these pieces, you're just paying for the label. You're paying for the fact that there's this name that you know about because they spend oodles and oodles on campaign, marketing campaigns. In Gentleman's Quarterly or Vogue magazine or whatever. Right, right. And so you know about their brand, so you think because you see them in these magazines or publications that they're better quality when really you're just paying for the same thing that someone else is paying less for and it's the same quality because of the channel that you chose to, um, to you know, that you selected for your purchase. So it's, and, it's, that, it's that status buying experience that you're paying for. And, you know, I mean, how many times do we say, oh, well, you're just paying for the name? It's like you're saying that really truly is is the truth, that you are the, paying for the name. It's the truth. It's definitely the truth. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. All right. So you have a few. Thank you for sharing that. You have a few th- um, uh, sort of subheadings for your chapter down here. Um, so we're going to dive into those now. Um, the first one you have here is it says the economic lesson of the farmer. So let's talk about that. Right. So back in the agricultural days, and I mean even now, but more prevalently in the the agriculture days, you would see that a farmer has the benefit of producing harvests and having enough to sell off to either barter or to bring in other things that they need, but also to eat. So not only could they use what they produce as, you know, what they lived off from their own life. Sustenance. I'm sorry? Their own sustenance. Right, for their own sustenance. They were able to sell those uh, crops and be able to um, either bring more money to themselves or to be able to use those crops as leverage to get other things that they want and needed. And right. and so um it's a it's a valuable lesson that everything that you you make you shouldn't spend or you shouldn't consume. I should say everything that you produce you shouldn't consume. Something mm-hmm. that you consume or that you produce you should make available for others to consume so that you can have an income um, that is sustainable over time. And so what farmers would do is they would take the seeds from, you know, whatever they produced, and then they would replant them, or they would purchase more seed, with the resources as well. So, you know, not only would they sell off to get, um, you know, what what they needed to say they needed oil to burn in the, in the, the, the oil heater or whatever, they would use a little bit of that money to buy more seed and knowing that that seed would continue to, over time, would produce a harvest that, it's way more valuable than they spent 
on the seeds themselves. They just had to wait for it. Right, right. How do you feel that lesson applies to your reader who's not a farmer? You know, they're working in a job and getting a paycheck. You know, they're not really producing anything. So they they are, the, the production comes from two areas. They have production capability for their they're generating revenue or generating an income stream. Right. And so with through working, they're generating this this they're producing an income stream. And with that income stream, they could consume all of the income stream on wants and desires, or they can take some of that income stream and use it to produce something else that's valuable to someone else. Um, for example, if you use your money to make make some clothes or make um, uh, a purse or something else that's valuable, that it costs maybe, you maybe less. Maybe what you're saying is start a small business. Yeah, that could be a, that that could be a way, or you could take that money and invest it in a business that's already existing, uh, or you can put it in a in a some type of bank that will yield you interest. That basically a a vehicle that will give you more money during the long haul than you actually spent or put away uh, in the beginning. And so you get a return on your investment greater than what you actually invested, whether that be a business or investments or savings account or bonds or whatever that is. Uh, but it's the principle of you're, you will reap more than you sow if you're able to wait. It sounds like you're talking about leverage. Leverage is, is you know, like um, if you're you're pulling aside, say five percent of your paycheck. Let's say that comes to fifty dollars a week, so you can go out and buy this stuff to make cupcakes and sell them at your kids' baseball game or something, you know, and then you make $100 every time you sell all those cupcakes, that's kind of a form of leverage in a way. Right, right, right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, good, good. Um, is there any more you want to say about the economic lesson of the farmer? So I do want to say that um, I kind of want to tell this story. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is, he works for a bank that, he works for a bank that focuses on providing financial services to farmers. And what he shared with me is he's been in the banking industry for about 20 years mm -hmm. now. Let's see, how do we... No, 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 I'm sorry. He's been in the banking industry probably about 15 years. Okay. And he has worked in different regions of the country, and he told me as a banker that the most lucrative or the, the, the largest 
um, holdings of cash value that he has seen amongst any type of uh, industry has been the farmers that bank with him. Really? Yes. That's interesting because farmers are always talking about being broke and (laughs) needing subsidies and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know because I don't – I'm not in that arena, but but and and why does he feel that's true? Like, what is it that farmers are doing or people in the agricultural industries that makes that doable or possible? Because they're all they continue to produce something that the world needs, and they they are always they always have a. Um, a demand for what they produce. There's always a demand for what they produce. And okay. they're always yeah, food, able right? to... Commodity. I'm sorry? I said food. It's a commodity. You right. know? It's, it's a necessity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And okay. and so they... And, and they know... And they utilize the principle of leverage is what you use or... Um, or in, investing, investing seed. Right, right. Good. Okay, so your next um, subtopic on this chapter by seeds, not just crops, is the purchasing power of minorities. So let's talk about that. So the statistic, I believe, is minority... Uh, African Americans. Uh, it's in one of my other chapters. A- African Americans exercise one trillion dollars in spending. They exercise one trillion in spending. Yes. Okay. And that's a lot of purchasing power. That's a lot of purchasing power. And. They that is money that is spent, not saved. <laughs> right. Um, right. So when when minorities claim, when we claim that we don't have money, it is not because money doesn't pass through our hands. It's because the money that we use, we treat it in a manner of which we consume the resources rather than utilizing it to create more create more resources. Right. A little more a little maybe a little too cavalier. Um what do you mean by that? Okay, well then obviously that's not a word you would choose, <laughs> you know. But I, I you know, I'm just saying that it's like gotta have it now and instead of asking the questions you were asking before about, well, do I really need it? Can I find it less expensively somewhere else? Can I go without it for a while and have it as a reward for creating some more money? You know, like instead of going through that process, they just say, okay, whatever, and whip out the credit card or the debit card. Right. Okay, I get get where you're going. Yeah, I I wouldn't have used Cavalier to describe that. Yes, so I won't use it. <laughs> so, so, so tell me more about that. You know, why do you think that is? 
I think it's because, again, when when people are a, a lot of people have something to prove. They're they're certain that you know, in in our society, culture has kind of taught us that we're we are what we make or we are what we have. Our value is associated to possessions. And because minorities typically don't have, well, I won't say typically have, because there is a strong problem with self-worth in the minority community because of parental absenteeism or lack of proper, you know, rearing, the values that people have inwardly don't exist and so they try to obtain value by an outward display. Externally, yeah. Right. That's fascinating, you know? That's fascinating. So maybe the deal is when you see that $500 pair of shoes and you think, oh, I've got to have those, you know, they're just, you know, the bomb or whatever, you know, you go, wait a minute, what is it about me that I think that's going to make me a a, a better person or love myself more or something like that? Yeah, and I think people substitute that inward appreciation that you would feel from, you know, being a part of a loving family that accepts you, that, you know, you've got nurturing parents, you you know, maybe have siblings that appreciate you or family members that esteem you for your educational accomplishments, for, you know, other things that you've accomplished that have more value that speak more to who you are as opposed to what you have. So it's almost like a a substitute for love. It's a substitute. It is. It is. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, you know, I, I reached a point in my life when I was going through a divorce, you know, where I made the decision I will not love people or things that have neither the time or ability to love me back. Yep. You know, so like if I was at a, I don't know, a shopping mall or something like that, and I see something and I go, I love this purse. Let's say it's a $400 Brahmin purse or something like this. Go, wait a minute. You know, (laughs) it sure can't love me back, right? Right. (laughs) You know, so... Anyway, yeah, that was that was um, kind of a self-realization, you know, quite a few years ago. So, all right. So, what when when how how do you think a the reader of your book can get to the place where they realize this could be what they're doing? Is this is a substitute for them for parental love they never got or acceptance they never got? or something like that. I think when they read it and understand, 
you know, going through that discussion and say, um, I guess you could start by asking the questions, why is it important for you to have this item? Is it really because you want it because you want it or is it because you want it to make other people perceive you a certain way? Right, you're trying to impress other people or make them feel jealous or something like that. You know, how about if we have, I think it would be a good idea in this chapter to have like a little checklist of questions that people can ask themselves when they're thinking about making, you know, kind of an extravagant purchase. Right. Right? How do you feel about that? I like that. You like it? I do. All right. So basically your point about the purchasing power of minorities is that you know, yes, minorities have purchasing power. We both know that, all right? But they would be better served if they thought through their purchases more carefully and more judiciously and um, left some things on the shelf, let's say. Right, and using some of that purchasing power to purchase to purchase or or to spend or to invest in things that will bring them a return as opposed to things that will devalue. Right. Yeah, appreciating assets rather than depreciating assets. Right. Now, education will always be sort of an appreciating asset, whereas clothes and shoes and electronics and things like that, even cars, really, will always be a depreciating asset. You know, I mean, you need to have a nice, safe, dependable car to drive around in, but you don't necessarily need the Lexus. Right. (laughs) Right. So, okay, good. Okay, good. I'll I'll work on coming up with sort of a a checklist of questions that kind of based on some of the things that you've said here. All right. Um, I love this next one: the trap of keeping up with the Joneses. And and by the way, before you before you jump into that, you know it's you know my husband Ernie is originally from India, and he's like he like absolutely doesn't care about trappings or labels or anything like that. I mean, it's like it's my job in life to keep him from looking like a homeless guy walking around, <laughs> you know. But at any rate, one of the things he said when we were early in the dating process, because I had always seen Indian people my consciousness and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, is he said, oh, my God, Denise, Indian people invented keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. So you might have a different thought about it, but anyway. <laughs> so so let's talk about that, the stuff of keeping up with the Joneses. The... Perception, again, in in our community is typically if you drive a nice car or you live in a nice home or if you live in a house like the Joneses down the street or if you drive a car like the Joneses down the street or if you dress like the Joneses down the street that you you have reached a certain status, 
but a lot of people don't really understand. They don't really know the disposition of the Joneses. The Joneses could be about to financially come to a bankruptcy or lose everything because you really don't know what their situation is. Or the Joneses could have so much money that they could have paid cash for all of the things that you're getting credit for, you're borrowing for. You're, you think that you're doing things how they do it because you have what they have, but the situation is totally subjective to what you see as opposed to really understanding what the situation is. And that can create a huge problem in our community. That creates a huge problem in our community because we truly don't understand what worth is. And I think I have a, a section I don't want to talk too much about net worth, but we don't really have an understanding of um, you know what what the Joneses situation really is and how our situation compares to that. And we're always comparing ourselves to others. <laughs> always comparing you know, it's almost like a unspoken competition and my car is better than yours or my car is just like yours and you can have it, I can have it too. And it's this sort of competition that's bred in our community um, because we have such a focus on materialism. Right. Right. Where do you think that stems from, that focus on materialism? Does it go back to that lack of love and all of that stuff? It does. And also think it stems into the sense of accomplishment. Um, every person, period, has a, well, not every person, but most of us, we have, a, there's a certain psychological and social benefit to accomplishment. And when you, you perceive something. It doesn't matter if yeah, you're black absolutely. or white. I mean, everybody yeah, does. Right, right, right. And that's what I mean by everybody. Most everybody is what I mean. Not just when I when I say when I speak of most everybody, I'm talking about the general populace. If I say minorities or we, For my community, right? Right, right. It's typically speaking more specifically to the community of the minorities, whether that be. African American, Latino American, whatever the, the minority community is. Pre most prevalently, this book is focused towards African American, Latino American. You know, I'd, go ahead. I, I just had a question pop up, but go ahead. Okay. And, and so I think it has something to do with a sense of accomplishment and maybe the accomplishment is doesn't match what the most successful people deem as accomplishments, right? Because I I bought a Lexus is not helping anybody but yourself and the Lexus, whoever sold you Lexus. Right. <laughs> uh, whereas people who are concerned with, you know, the billionaires and the millionaires that we see, you see many of those individuals, they're driven not just by self-success, but they're driven by philanthropy and they're 
they're givers and they're people who are involved in policy making because they're concerned about the welfare of the world as opposed to and their communities just as opposed to just I obtain this particular asset for me and it doesn't do anyone else any good. Right. And I think the mentality has not we don't we haven't been socialized and the minority community hasn't been socialized enough to understand that the goal shouldn't be keeping up with the Joneses. The goal should be to put our community in a better place for longevity from a financial, from a social economic perspective. Got it. Got it. You know, do you ever watch Shark Tank on TV? I, I do. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever watch The Prophet? I have seen that show maybe once or twice. Okay. So anyway, you watch CNBC once in a while, at least for Shark Tank. Right. But at any rate, there's a a show that's going to start on that network that's called Blue Collar Millionaires, I think it's called, you know. Okay. But anyway, these are people who, you know, blue-collar kind of people who started businesses and worked their butts off, and now they're millionaires, you know. And it looks like, you know, the show is going to be based, like, in Texas, so they're, you know, probably very country and some western boots and that kind of stuff, you know, if I decide to watch it or not. But, you know, the first time I bought a business, it was in kind of a small town about a half hour outside of Detroit, and it was surrounded by cornfields, you know. And I had grown up, like, not in downtown, but, you know, like, a lot closer to the city and everything. And there were people who were millionaires who walked around looking like crap all the time. I mean, they, right. you know, they were wearing jeans and a faded plaid flannel shirt and stuff like that. But they were known all over town to be very wealthy and successful at, you know, whatever their business was, whether it was a farm or a plumbing contractor or whatever, you know. And what I sense, what the sense that I always got from those people is that they were really comfortable in their own skin, right. and they really didn't give a hoot what other people thought of them. Right. You know, and it's like that idea of being comfortable in your own skin. I think is one way to kind of naturally say. I don't need an $800 purse. I'm okay with who I am. Right. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I, I like that. And I think, we, you know, you can further that and say, I don't, an a $800 purse is something that I may desire. I won't disregard that. But I'm willing to wait until having an $800 purse is not a burden to me because an $800 purse doesn't define me. Doesn't define me. I like that. That's good. Okay. So um, another thing I was thinking as you were talking about is when I was growing up for a while, you know, like I grew up in the burbs, right? You know, they used to call it the lily white suburbs, you know. And my parents wanted us to have, you know, experiences getting to know 
you know, minority people because they didn't want us to think, you know, minority people were just what you saw in the 6 o'clock news, right? So you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Right. I'm here. So we started going to this African – it wasn't completely African-American. I would say it was about maybe 60 70% African-American church, you know. It was a Catholic church, but I mean, we, you know, we loaded up in the car and every Sunday we drove about 15, 20 minutes and went to this church, right? You know, mm-hmm. boy, talk about the fashion show every week. <laughs> you know? The men's suits and the women's suits with the matching hat and the matching heels and everything. Like my mom couldn't keep up with it, you know, you know, like that, that wasn't how my parents were. You know, I mean, you know, they wanted to look presentable and neat and appropriate and all of those things. But they just, you know, and it, and it, it, my impression was it was like in these social settings, it was really, really important to keep up or maybe even compete. Exactly. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Right. So what do you say to the person who's, you know, going to church and they don't have the brand new, you know, Hugo Bosch suit or the woman have the, you know, whatever, Stella McCartney, whatever, you know, thing. I mean, what what do you say to them that, okay, I'm going to be walking into this environment in church or in some kind of social setting where there's going to be all these people and I know they're going to be competing or whatever, how do I keep myself sort of above the fray and not be affected or upset or concerned by that? Or it could be just daily in the work, in the, you know, in the office where they work. Ask the question one more time. Ask the question again. Yes, please. Okay. So let's say you've got this person who's trying to be more responsible with their money and they're trying to follow what Charles Whitby tells them. And, yeah, they go to church on Sunday, you know, and they're faced with the whole fashion show around them every single week. Or maybe it's in their office, you know, where they work five days a week. It's like how do they kind of rise above the fray of all of that and feel good about themselves and not get caught up with all that and feeling maybe less than in those circumstances. Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of, um, again, understanding your personal value and, and realizing that just because a person is wearing a certain, you know, looks a certain way doesn't mean that they sp- First of all, spend a lot of money to do it. You have no idea where they got. They could have got that outfit from someone else. They could be borrowing someone else's clothes. They could be a hand-me-down. It could be something they found on clearance, you know, and and to assume uh, it's, it's erroneous to assume that when someone else is buying something that it's, you know, or has something on that, may be fashionable or, you know, you feel like you're caught up in a fashion show, 
I mean, there are people who can, quite frankly, it doesn't hurt them at all to dress like that from a financial perspective. They have enough discretionary income to do so. Or you have people who it's not impacting them. Um, or you have people who are who look as though they're a million dollars but don't have a dime in their pocket. And it, it becomes a, a, a matter the robbing, of... Robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right, and it becomes a matter of, under, again, understanding your own personal value and not assessing your value to um, your outward display. Right. I have to tell you, my latest designer purchase, Charles, I had to go to Home Depot for something. I, I know, I was looking at paint colors. I'm thinking about repainting my living room. But So I just went there to pick up paint swatches and stuff. Well, anyway, this is the one on Rainbow at Charleston. And when you drive down the parking lot at the other end, there's a Goodwill store, you know. So at any rate, I go in the Goodwill store, and I don't know what I was looking for, but I'm just meandering, and I end up in the purses because I really do like designer purses, you know, right? And I found one, right? Have you ever heard of Harrods? I have not. Okay. So Harrods is a super expensive store in London where the Queen of England and Kate Middleton shops. Okay. Gotcha. And this purse was from Harrods. It had a little little tiny brass thing, like one inch in size, and it was $4.95. Really? I I scooped that puppy up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did. Yeah, I did, you know. So at any rate, because I didn't even think, it's like, oh, gee, you can go to consignment shops and maybe get a $500 sax something or other for 25 bucks, you know. So anyway, anyway, okay, good. So what would you say are your closing thoughts when it comes to Buy seed, not just crops. Closing thought. I would say my closing thoughts would be uh, as as an individual as an individual who lives in a world um, full of advertising, marketing. um, You got to have this to be a happy person. Yeah, propaganda. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, in a way it is. It is. It, you know, it's very important to understand that to have a to develop to develop a legacy for you and your family. You must have the mind of planting, harvesting, and planting again. Right. Good. 
Can you give me, before we wrap up today, can you give me one story of where you um, um, wanted something and either walked away or decided, you know what, I deserve this. This is a reward for something that I've accomplished. So I was working for a major tele, um, telco company. I was working for AT&T, the company I was working for. And I had a pretty handsome salary at the time. And was about twenty. I was twenty-four. No, twenty-four. Twenty-five. Twenty-five years old. I again. I've always been one who loves to to dress, and I was starting to wear out of some of my nicer clothes. But when, but I decided that I I knew that I was getting a bonus. I didn't know how much it was, but I knew that there was a, a corporate bonus coming up in the spring. And during the fall, before the spring, I knew I was in need. I saw some things that I liked. Went to a, one of my favorite stores at the time was S&K. Was, and what was the name of the store? S&K. Okay. Menswear. I saw couple, three, four suits that I really liked. A friend of mine worked at the the store that I went to, and I really wanted the suits, but decided that I was in school at the time. I wanted to use that money to get my books and pay for tuition because I paid total cash for my tuition no student loans, I decided that I didn't want to go into debt to either finance my wardrobe or my education. And consequently, I got a bonus a little bit more than I anticipated because I got an individual team award. And when I went to go back to the store, I bought three brand new suits, the same suits that I looked at for um, an amount of money. Actually, there's two stories that might be valuable in this because obviously I'm a clothes person. And bought three suits that I needed for an amount of money same amount of money, but the impact to my budget was so different because of the large bonus that I had. And I was also able to use part of that money in a bonus to invest and put away. Right. So some of it you used to reward yourself with the suits, right. and some of it you used to pay yourself forward, having the money set aside for tuition and books and all that. Absolutely. Cool. How did it feel ahead. to Sorry. reward yourself with those suits? It was awesome. I mean, it was no re- no uh, no regrets. Was purchases? What is it? Purchasers remorse or something like that? Buyer's I had remorse. Buyer. I had absolutely no buyer's remorse because 
those were extra funds that were unallocated to anything. Um, I had waited. I felt good about waiting to buy at a more opportune time for my financial situation. I looked very good in my suits, and I had money in my pocket while I was wearing them. Good. Good. So, like, you didn't go broke doing it along the way. Right. You were about to say something else, and I cut you off with that question. Do you remember so what it was? A, even a, probably a, a better emotional story is this. And this is kind of when I started realizing the power of the the markup of fashion. I went to, there's a local boutique in the city that I'm from. It's called Kazachek's. K-O-S-I-T-C-H-E-K apostrophe S. And Kazachek's is the finest menswear in the city of Lansing. It is downtown. And I would occasionally go visit Kazachek's. I went into Kazachek's in probably, it was probably around the early fall. Uh, No, no, no. No, 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 it wasn't the early fall. It was the early spring. It was the early spring of a year. I went into college checks, and I saw this beautiful suit. Oh, my God. It was a beautiful Ted Baker suit. And Ted Baker suits, this suit was $1,500, right? This suit was $1,500. I tried this suit on. It was so beautiful. I didn't even have $1,500 to spend on the suit at all. Um, I mean, I had it, but I would have. Let me let's rephrase that. If I would have spent fifteen hundred dollars on the suit, I probably would have not been able to eat for a couple weeks. Would have, would have messed up your budget for a little while. It would, have, it would have destroyed my budget for a little while. And I or I you know and I or I could have used credit and I would have paid. It took me a a little while to pay it off, and I probably would have paid you know couple. Couple ten, maybe a hundreds of dollars in interest, right? So that fall, I went to a store in Grand Rapids, Mm -hmm. and that store had the same exact suit that I tried on at Cosmetics. I'm sorry. The Ted Baker suit. The Ted Baker suit was at. Another men's boutique called AK Ricks in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I was attending. No, no, I went down for their semi-annual sale, and they had that fifteen hundred dollars suit. I was able to purchase for two hundred dollars. Oh, oh my God! How did you feel? Awesome! <laughs> I, I, as soon as I saw the price. I ran into the register, and I told them I have to have the suit. I've already tried the suit on. Already, it's perfect for me. And I, and that was in man, that was probably like 2005. Ten and years I still, ago. And, and today I still wear that suit. Wow, that's a great story. Yes. Sometimes when we hold off, it's rewarded. Yes. Yeah, good, good, good. All right, good. Well, I'll tell you what, I think we're there for today. And um, how do you feel about this whole conversation and everything? 
I feel that I was able to express a lot of my thoughts. I'm looking forward to seeing what you put together with your genius and then um, being, you know, being able to read it over and give some feedback. I'm looking forward to that. Good, good. So I will do that. And there's something else I wanted to say to you. So anyway, um, yeah, I will do that. And it will reflect you and your wisdom and experience and all those good things. You already know that. Okay, so I'm looking at next week. Um, Is it possible to do it same time, same station? Let me just make sure I don't think that's a problem. But I just Friday the 17th. I do have a board meeting for ISSA as well. So if we could maybe do 1045 that way, because I think this is a teleconference. Would that be? Would that make it before your board meeting or after your board meeting? Before, before. Okay. When would your board meeting be done? Because I have another meeting, and it's like it will end like right at ten forty-five, and I don't oh, want to. Okay. You know, I could do That's... it like right then. It's just this guy can't be late, you know, and sometimes he's right, five right. ten minutes late, you know. So. Okay. So well, you know what? I could probably be. It probably work better if um if we stuck with the same time because what I could do is that my, my updates for that board meeting don't really come. And it's the first couple of minutes are kind of like, uh, hi, bye, you know. Okay. And we kind of ran stuff. over today because I was trying to figure out the Google Docs and everything. But most okay. of the time we'll be done pretty much an hour, so. Okay. So let's okay? keep the same time. Let's keep the same time. All right. All right. You have a great uh, weekend. And I'll talk to you at 11 o'clock Thursday, Friday the 17th. Sounds good. Thank okay. you, Denise. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.